seated for now. I'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you to Brother Bass and his family and this church for their great hospitality. Appreciated uh, what they prepared for all of us last night. Thought that was a very wonderful gesture of, of kindness and hospitality. And uh, everything in the whole meeting that's been done for myself and my family and all of us, I express my sincere appreciation for it. And I would like to say I'm happy to have part of my family with me. Normally my wife doesn't get to travel with me that much. And she's with me this time and my oldest daughter. We're glad to have them with us. And uh, every once in a while we have one of those little uh, moments of... Um, truth or reality and uh, just before we came out of the side room to come in here and all this august assembly of, of men to my left and, and uh, behind me and Brother Bass and some others and I had this feeling come over me and explain it I have to tell you something that happened when I was evangelizing one time we were at one of those uh, times when we were kind of you know setting in other words, we didn't have any place to go right then. <laughs> and uh, while we were waiting for a door to open, uh, bills still go on. So uh, a friend uh, was working. He was a, a very accomplished cabinet maker and trim carpenter, and he was working on a job, a real nice house, finishing it out. And he said, well, come on down. I can get you hired out. now." Uh, he said, though, I can get you $10 an hour. Well, that was back in the dark ages. $10 an hour is an unbelievable wage. The only problem was is I'm not, a, I'm not a trim carpenter. He said, oh, that's no problem. He said, you can just fake it. And he said, when you get in a bind, just act like you're figuring or something and ease around to where I'm at, and I'll tell you what to do, and nobody will know the difference. And so uh, I hired on. And uh, he loaned me a hammer and a nail apron and everything. I didn't have anything with me. I hired on as a trim carpenter. And uh, so I began working on this beautiful home, almost a mansion. And, uh, and I'm, uh, I am a, a trim carpenter now. Yesterday I couldn't even spell it. Today I are one. And, uh, but a few times during that job, I got to looking around. I said, what am I doing here? And uh, I, I had one of those moments of truth just a few minutes ago. I said, dear Lord, what am I doing here? I belong back in Oklahoma uh, doing something more in, uh, in my area of uh, ability. But uh, things happen and we try to do the best we can. And uh, I, do, I do appreciate this meeting. I, I say that sincerely. My firm conviction it's these types of meetings are being used by God to accomplish a very needed work in our movement. Meetings like this, there's no big I's and little U's. We're not promoting anybody or promoting anything other than Jesus Christ and revival and, and unity. And uh, it doesn't matter whether you're from this group or that group or no group. The main thing is, do you belong to the body of Jesus Christ? And have you been born again in the water and the spirit? And are you uh, living what the apostles preached and taught? That's the main credential around here. And in uh, and, and many meetings of this type, and uh, I feel very comfortable in that kind of a setting and environment. I, I have never believed 
that the body of Christ ought to be divided by sectarian groups, I think the basis of fellowship is the apostles' doctrine. Amen. And I believe the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the more that the Spirit of God is going to do a work of unity. I believe the true church is going to come together. Just like Ezekiel's vision in the valley of the dry bones, everything began to come together. Each bone connecting up to the right bone until it all was back in divine order. Praise God. That was necessary for Israel's restoration. I believe to see the restoration that God has for the church, everything has to find its proper place in order. And then it will be a mighty army that will accomplish the end time work that God desires to be done before he returns. Do you believe that? Amen. Well, that's what I believe. If you don't, well, pray for me that God will show me the light. Amen. Let's stand together for a reading from the word of the Lord in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. most of you are aware that when the Bible was written, it was not divided into chapters and verses. That was done hundreds of years later. And uh, it was done by men that probably didn't even have the Holy Ghost. And so I'm going to take liberty to rearrange them as I see fit. I think I have as much authority to arrange it as they did. And uh, they decided where to put the chapter divisions and the verses and for the most part they've done a good job I'm glad they did it I have enough trouble finding things even with all these helps when the apostles preached in the Old Testament they had to find the place in the scroll where it was written you know they had to know know it very very well <clears throat> I want to begin in in the 44th verse but I'm going to start in 44 B this is where our scripture is going to start today 1 Corinthians 15, verse 44, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Please make sure you catch that. It's very important to understanding what I feel God wants us to minister on here this morning. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. And again, I want to direct your attention to a particular verse of Scripture, number 50. And it says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Now, when I announce my title this morning, it will not seem to fit at first with this passage of Scripture, but I hope to be able to make the application here before I get through. But I want to preach to you on this subject, the second born, the second born. Let's pray together right now. Lord God, 
thank you today for your divine presence, for your touch, God. I covet your presence. I covet your anointing. Touch my mind, my body, and my spirit right now. Touch the listeners, God. Touch their mind and heart. Give us that same understanding. Open our understanding just like you did the apostles. Open our understanding that we might understand the scriptures. Teach us thy ways. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everybody say in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I do want to say I'd be remiss not to say thank you, brethren, for preaching to me. I have thoroughly enjoyed every message that I've heard and uh, have been stirred. And I'm going to go home and be different and do better than what I did in the past by the help of God. In our judicial system, there is a very powerful part of the law that we don't normally think about that affects each and every one of us in, the, in our lives that is called case history. Once a precedent has been set in judicial matters, it becomes a part of the great body of law. And uh, this, this uh, type of ruling, for instance, on the appellate court level and then on up higher till it finally goes to the Supreme Court, once these matters are settled, they actually have the power and force of written law or legislated laws, the power of precedent. Now, when we look at the word of the Lord very closely, we also discover some very precedent-setting rulings or actions of God. Once God does something a certain way, once he, he uh, begins to uh, develop a certain idea or a certain way of dealing with things, you will discover that he continues in that same vein. God is very consistent. He's very predictable in that sense of the word. And the actions of God, by stunning them closely... And not just looking at what happened, but looking there is an underlying principle. Once you discover that principle, then you can understand something more about the mind and the purpose and the ways of God. And so as we begin to study the word of the Lord over a period of time, you know, when you first begin studying the word of the Lord, you're, you're groping and grasping to just try to understand the important doctrines of the Bible. And finally you get those down and you're trying to learn the other uh, parts of the Bible, the books and the chapters and when this happened and when that happened and, and this is a, a, a very very big project to try to acquaint and familiarize yourself with the Bible. Then you're trying to learn the stories and, and the little things that happened. You know, I remember when I was a child they taught us certain stories about David and, and Goliath and about Daniel in the lion's den and on and on and on the old familiar Bible stories. And then as you increase in your understanding and maturity you begin to try to apply these things. You look for application. And then above and beyond that, there are scriptural principles that these things illustrate. Now John, John spoke to us in his writing, in his gospel, and he said that I suppose if all the things that Jesus both began to say and to do were written down, not even the world itself could contain all the books that could be written. So we understand that only a select 
exact uh, part of what could have been incorporated in the Bible uh, was preserved and written down. Uh, in God's own mind, there must have been a very, uh, a very fine screening process. Each of these stories that we call them Bible stories, each of these little excerpts from messages, and each of the prophecies from uh, the huge body of prophecies, no doubt, that went forth in the Old Testament, only certain ones did God move upon men to write down and to incorporate within the body of the Bible. I firmly believe that every uh, incident that's recorded, every miracle, every prophecy, every uh, scenario of things that took place with a nation or in an individual's life is jammed full of uh, great principles and, and uh, teaching, amen, that has tremendous application. There's no wasted space. There's no wasted words. There's no fillers in the Bible. Amen. How many of you believe that? So as you continue to familiarize yourself with the word of the Lord, after a while you begin to think in broader terms. You begin to see things as, a, as an overall plan. You begin to see how it all fits together. And you begin to see God's hand and his working uh, from eternity into eternity, be through and beyond the span of time. And there are certain patterns that begin to emerge from the word of the Lord. As you're reading and studying something, you say, that sounds familiar. There's something familiar about that. I'm not just talking about the story itself, but there's something about that. And as you begin to mull on it, then it begins to connect up with another part of Scripture and another part of Scripture. And you say, aha, I have discovered something here. There is an underlying principle that is repeating itself. It is a pattern of how God moves and how God thinks and how God acts and how God works. And then as you begin to see these patterns, they reveal God's, not only his nature, but they reveal certain spiritual laws and truths and principles that are discovered. Let me give you a for instance for what I'm talking about. Abraham understood this uh, law concerning uh, precedent. And when the angel of the Lord came to him and God said, I'm going to go down and I'm going to destroy wicked Sodom and Gomorrah. But before he did this, he said, I've got to go by and check in with my friend Abraham. And so he goes by and there's a lot of good preaching material here that I don't have time to get into. But he goes by and checks in with Abraham and, uh, and he says to Abraham, this is what I intend to do. And Abraham begins then to negotiate with God. And, uh, and to you and I, it would seem that he was being presumptuous. But when you stop and look uh, beyond uh, the obvious in the surface, you will see that Abraham's arguments were well-founded on scriptural principle. Amen. He, he, did, he wasn't being presumptuous when he said to the Lord, Far be it from thee uh, to do after this manner to slay the righteous with the wicked. He was actually saying, God, this is not like you to go and when you're bringing, pouring your wrath out upon a group of people to slay the righteous with the ungodly. What was he appealing back to? He was appealing back to the story of the flood. For God's, uh, in his anger, repented that he had even created mankind and said, I'm going to destroy all life off the earth that I've created. And then it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Do you realize that one act of God set a precedent that is carried throughout Scripture? In the beginning, the book of Genesis, God set forth this principle that when I pour my wrath out upon a group of ungodly people, I will make a way of escape for the righteous. 
I will not destroy the righteous with the ungodly. Isn't that beautiful? And so Abraham understood about the nature of God. He was a friend of God. He knew how God thought. He knew how God acted. And he said, God, this doesn't sound like you at all. I believe the Lord wanted him to say that. And he said, well, what do you expect me to do about it? He said, well, if I could find 50 men, 50 righteous men, would you spare the city? And then he negotiates on down. You know what he was after? Amen. He was after getting his nephew Lot and his family out of that wicked city before fire and brimstone fell. Amen. Everybody say hallelujah. Again, uh, James refers to this principle of God's constancy and how that once God sets a precedent, it's followed throughout Scripture and all of his dealings with mankind. In James chapter 1 and verse number 17, he says, Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Amen. God is so consistent. Aren't you glad that God's dependable? Amen. You see, the heathen's concept of God, of their God, their idols, is uh, he, he's real temperamental. One day he's pleased and he's blessing you, and the next day he's mad about something. So you got to sacrifice something. you got to appease the gods. But the God that we serve, amen, as Apostle Paul, I believe, is the one that wrote it in Hebrews 13 and 8, said that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. This constancy of God. Now, having introduced to you this, this idea of God's uh, setting precedence and then following this same pattern in all of his dealings with mankind, I'd like to talk to you for a little bit about the law of the firstborn, the law of the firstborn. We understand that under the law that was given by Moses, amen, there were certain uh, things that involved uh, God's dealing with, with families. And in every family uh, of mankind, in fact, it went beyond mankind, in every living creature, uh, uh, God had a law that governed the firstborn. If it was a beast, uh, the firstborn was considered that it belonged to God. If it was a clean beast, if it was a, a goat, or if it was, uh, if it was uh, the offspring of a cow, or if it was uh, a sheep, the firstborn male uh, of that uh, offspring belonged to God and was to be offered to him as a uh, offering or a sacrifice. And if it was an unclean beast, then uh, its neck was to be broken or Listen to this. They could offer a substitute sacrifice of a lamb in its place and redeem it. And the firstborn of man, the firstborn child, the first man child, it belonged to God and they had to redeem him. Now you see, God by type was teaching us something. And that is that if order for us to be saved, there must be some redemption. There must be some substitutionary work that takes place. He also is teaching us that within ourself, that is within our flesh, we're unclean. We are unacceptable to God until there has been a, a, a price of redemption that has been paid for us. Now, this firstborn, this law governing the firstborn went way beyond just uh, uh, this uh, offering up. But there were certain blessings that went along with it. We call it the birthright. It belonged to the firstborn. Amen. This was a very, uh, this was a very important and valuable thing that the firstborn received. 
He received, of course, authority. And he received a double portion of his father's goods. He, he, he had first priority in the family, if you please. Amen. He had the choice of everything. He was the head. He inherited this by the law of the firstborn. Not only that, but God said that a spiritual blessing would be imparted to him. And this was passed on from father to son from father to son and on down through the generations. And these old patriarchs of the Old Testament, we see that near the time of their death, it's as though God gave them a special insight that their time is, is nearing when they will depart and they would lay their hand upon their firstborn son and impart to them the blessing of the birthright and then a secondary blessing to other sons if there were other sons involved. And so this was the law of God. Amen. The law of the firstborn. But for many years I have been troubled and puzzled as to why I would seem what would see what seemed to be a contradiction. It seems as though God was violating his own law. Why is it that God chose Jacob instead of Esau, who was the firstborn? Why is it that God chose others uh, that uh, should have been chosen? And for instance, Isaac instead of Ishmael. Ishmael was the firstborn. And uh, I have tried to reconcile this. I've tried to understand it. And, uh, and it's not been all that long ago. Just in uh, the last few months of last year, I begin to notice a pattern that emerges here. And that is that God very often, amen, seemingly went against his own rule and gave the blessing to the secondborn instead of the firstborn. And so as I continued to ponder on these things and study it out, it became obvious to me that when it came to the story of redemption, God's great plan of salvation, when it came to those that was in that godly seed from uh, Adam and Eve all the way down to Jesus Christ, that God continually rejected the firstborn and put the blessing upon the secondborn. Amen. And I can give you many, many instances. The, uh, the first instance, of course, would be the two sons of Adam and Eve. And Cain was rejected, but Abel, amen, was accepted of the Lord. What is significant about Cain and Abel? Notice, if you would, please, that Cain brought to the Lord an offering, amen, that was produced from the ground. It was earthly. Amen. It was something he was able to produce. This was the result of the sweat of his face. Amen. He tilled the ground. He planted the seed. He, he kept it weeded. He worked with it. And he brought the choicest things that he was able to produce. Amen. I don't believe he brought inferior fruit and vegetables. I don't believe he brought uh, the leftovers. But I believe he picked out the choices that he had. And when he brought before God the very best he could produce, God said, I do not accept it. Amen. It's from the earth. It's earthy. It's, it's carnal. It is the efforts of carnal man. And in our own efforts, as far as humanity is concerned, our own flesh, we can never produce anything that's acceptable to God. The very best we can produce is a work of the flesh is not good enough to pass by God's inspection. Amen. He cannot accept 
that which the flesh or carnality produces. But we see that Abel, the second born, according to what Hebrews tells us, chapter 11 and verse number 4, by faith he offered unto God a more acceptable sacrifice unto the Lord. God accepted his sacrifice. Why? Amen. Because his was imbibed uh, uh, blood and, and substitution and, uh, and redemption. Amen. It was something that God had ordained. This was God's plan. This was following the precedent that God had started in the beginning. Amen. There was no covering until there was bloodshed. Amen. And so when these men come before God, Abel presented the best thing that he could produce. And God said, that's not good enough. You see, he had failed to learn the lesson that Adam and Eve had been taught by God when, he, when God rejected their fig leaf aprons and said, that's not good enough. Amen. There's no, there's no covering without the shedding of blood. And yet, uh, Cain was presumptuous enough to think, if I bring to God my very best, he will accept it. But God said, I reject it. And he accepted the offering of his brother Abel because it was done according to the plan. We're familiar with Abraham and his firstborn son. You understand that Ishmael was a work of the flesh. Is there anyone that would dispute that this morning? Ishmael was totally a work of the flesh. He was the son of the offspring of the bondwoman. And God rejected him. To me, it's very significant that when God began to reaffirm to Abraham his covenant with him. And uh, he begins to talk about thy son, thine only son, Isaac. And, and, and Abraham says, just a minute, Lord. He's not my only son. In fact, he's not even my firstborn son. How about my son Ishmael? You see, the Lord didn't even consider Ishmael as existing. Amen. That which we produce as a work of the flesh is not, not only is it not accepted by God, it's to him as though it never existed. You cannot impress God by your fleshly efforts. But uh, Abraham said, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. He said, oh, God, come on, please reconsider. Would you accept Ishmael? Would you let him be blessed of you? Would you allow him to have the blessing? And God said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll bless his natural seed. Twelve princes will come forth from him. He'll be a great nation of people. But it's going to be in Isaac that thy seed is going to be called. Amen. I can't accept the firstborn. Amen. This has to do with redemption. Amen. It's through thy son Isaac that my seed is going to be, amen, called. But you see, Abraham had such an affinity for Ishmael. It's very obvious that until this particular moment in time, that Abraham had a, a greater attachment to Ishmael than even he did to Isaac. Why is it that we have such an affinity for the things that we produce by the works of our own flesh? Whatever it might be, whatever program it might be, whatever talent it might be, whatever idea that we promote, amen, when it comes forth from the human mind and it comes forth from human ability, it's so hard for us to turn that loose, amen, and to reach for that which is produced by the Spirit. Amen. We continually, 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 it's already been preached in this conference, try to do everything but get back to the pattern, get back to prayer, get back to commitment, get back to sacrifice. Isn't that right? 
Amen. We talk about how the Holy Ghost fell in old days and old times and, and the old timers, a few of them still around. Amen. Talk about how God moved and how the Holy Ghost fell. They didn't have the talent that we have today. They didn't have the sophistication. They didn't have the fine buildings. They didn't have the money to work with. Amen. They knew that without him they could do nothing. Amen. But nowadays we got everything we need to produce what looks like a move of God. Amen. We've got our talent. Amen. We've got our education. We've got our training. We've got our fine buildings. We've got our music. we got this. we got uh, this kind of program and that kind of program. And we can have church with or without God. We even know how to worship, don't we? Amen. We even know how to get noisy when you're supposed to get noisy and get rowdy when you're supposed to get rowdy. Amen. We know how to raise our voice to make a point and how to drop it. But the old timers didn't know that. All they knew how to do was just pray and seek the face of God. Amen. And get up. Amen. With a burden burning in their soul and begin to unload their soul and God began to move and a great work was done. Why? Amen. Because it was a work of the Spirit. Hallelujah. I said it was a work of the Spirit. But oh, how we love our Ishmaels. Amen. If you want to upset a church, cross one of their little traditions. If you want to upset a church, amen, try to get them to break out of the, of the rut or the mold that they're in. Hello? Amen. Just cross their little theory or their ideas or, or, or fail to honor mamas on Mother's Day the way that the former pastor did. You got the whole mess mad at you. Amen. You see, we, we love our little traditions. We love our little programs. Amen. I'm going to tell you what, we're going to have to get bigger than that if we're going to have real apostolic revival. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, we ask somebody to be prepared to sing. And if they don't get to sing, then they're in a pout for six months. That's a bunch of nonsense. Amen. Everything we do needs to be passed by the cross. And, and we need to give the Holy Ghost free reign in our services. If you don't get to preach for six months, it ought not, or to sing either for six months, it ought not to bother you. Amen. Amen. If you were on the schedule of a service for six months and you didn't get to sing, what difference does it make? As long as we have a move of the Holy Ghost and the work of God is accomplished and the kingdom of God is moving forward. <laughs> Hallelujah. We got to get beyond this promoting ourselves. We got to get beyond this, uh, uh, this uh, avenue of flesh and, and, uh, and showing out and, and putting on our little program. Well, Hallelujah. But oh, how we love what our flesh produces. We have such a strong affinity for what we are able to do. How would to God we learn to love what God's able to do as much as we love what we're able to do. Somebody say praise the Lord. Amen. You see, we constantly are seeking to get God to endorse our Ishmael's. Amen. We create this thing. This is it. This is the vehicle that will bring the great revival that we're all hungry for. Now, God, please come put your endorsement on it. 
Amen. This, this is it. I mean, the best minds have gotten together and worked on this. Some of the great leaders of our movement have gotten together and put this together. This thing is fail-proof. It's got to work. Amen. How could you improve on this? This is the latest. This is the cutting edge. Amen. This is the latest fact. While this works for the charismatics, this works for the Baptist, this works for Yonggi Cho, this works, and on and on we go. Amen. We have such an affinity for what our flesh can produce. And we have such an aversion to what the Holy Ghost would do in and through us. But you see, it requires too much dependence and loss of control. I've been places where, uh, you know, there was no place made for a move of the Spirit because you can't control the Spirit. It's like the wind. It blows wherever it listed. You don't know which way it's going. Amen. You have to follow the moving of the Spirit. Amen. But as long as you're in control, you know where it's going. You know everything is going to be said and done in the service. Amen. You got it all calculated and figured out, but it's lifeless. It's dead. It's not producing what we're really after. It's not producing spiritual. It's not producing holiness. It's not producing revival. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All it's producing is carnality because flesh produces flesh. And it takes a work of the Spirit to produce spirituality. Amen. I have declared war this year on carnality. In the church I pastor, I told them 19 and 96 is a year, amen, of growth. And they all looked at me, oh, yeah, growth. I said, not what you think. Amen, we're going to grow spiritually this year. Amen. I'm not going to worry about numerical growth. We're not going to quit reaching. We're not going to quit evangelizing. I said, but we're going to have some spiritual growth around here. God hates our stinking carnality. Amen. I put the whole church on a three-day fast. You would have thought, amen, you would have thought that I had uh, asked them uh, to commit suicide. Amen. They, they were looking at me like I was a cult leader or something. You expect me to do without food for three days? I have been amazed at how many preachers that have been preaching for years have never fasted three days. No wonder the church isn't fasting. Oh, I've waded off into something here. You know, I don't like what I felt, so I'm going to punch it again. I'm amazed at how many preachers don't know how to pray. It's no wonder the people won't pray. Well, hallelujah. I'm about ready to kick it again. It's still punching back. It's still alive and well. Amen. We love our programs. We love what the flesh can produce. We know how to get it all worked up, don't we? Professional Cheerleaders Association. Amen. There are times, and I, I, I guess, well, I'm going to punch it again. Bless your heart. I, there are times that I find myself longing for an evangelist that knows how to just preach and follow the leading of the Spirit and doesn't expect people to be jumping pews before they even announce their text. One fellow complained to me one time, and I said, well, if you want him to shout, why don't you, if you want him to respond, why don't you say something? <laughs> Expecting people to, to pay before you produce. 
Amen. Well, hallelujah. Praise God. We're having a time tonight. God's fixing to do something. Well, that's great. Wonderful. I'll get excited with you. But after you do that three or four nights, I'd like to see him do something. Amen. 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 I find a lot of things are hype. I'm meddling. I got to punch it again, Brother Bass. You're going to have to clean up when I get through. Amen. I get to hearing about these great mega churches and what all's happening here and there. And it just so happens the last few years I've got to travel a few places. And I go there and I look around. And I say, well, you know, I don't think I have hardly anything. Where I pastor, but I got more than they do. Where, where, where's the crowd? Oh, they've always got 15 excuses. Brother Booker and I was flying back from a camp meeting a few years ago and had a stop to make, and we couldn't get back in time for church, so we stopped at one of these super places. They, they literally run thousands, and they had less than 200 on Sunday night service. Of course, they knew how to do the grapevine twist and a few other little dances and got in their circles and locked in, left foot in, left foot out. This is where you do the hokey pokey. <laughs> I guess that's what they were doing. It's what it looked like to me. Amen. This, this is how we're supposed to do it. I mean, I've been hearing for years. They write their books. They put out all their PR. Of course, where I came from, we call it something else. But I got to be nice this morning. Amen. I found out that everything that you hear about is not necessarily the way that it is. But oh, how we love what our flesh can produce. You know what? I'm hungry for a real move of God. I said, I'm hungry for a real move of God. I remember far enough back to when the real power fell. Amen. It's hard for me to get excited about what some people are getting excited about. You just have to forgive me. But I'm 46, 47 years old. Had to look at my wife to see. 47 years old. And all I remember is Pentecost. I can go back 45 years and remember clearly what it was like 45 years ago. Amen. And we had the fire falling and we had things happening. Amen. But it was different than what it is a lot of places today that's called a move of God. Hello? Amen. I remember healing, hearing, travailing. That gets started in some of our super churches nowadays and then haul them out thinking they're having some kind of spell. Run them down to the psychiatric ward to get them checked out. What's wrong with this person? Just about like old Eli when Hannah was in travail of soul. Amen. You see, there, the Bible tells us, and i got to get back on what I'm preaching here, but the Bible tells us about uh, uh, a period of time when the uh, Zerubbabel's temple was being rebuilt and the old men wept and the young men rejoiced. Now, in order for them to have seen Solomon's former temple, they were over 70 years of age because they'd been in captivity now for 70 years. These were old men. We're talking about aging men. They were on up there 80, 85 years old. And these men had seen the temple in its former glory. And they said, what we see now, that's good. But it was more than just nostalgia when they said, you should have seen it in its former glory. And I see some things right now that are good. 
I don't have a problem with it. Amen. Except that I know that there is a greater measure of glory and anointing. Amen. And power with God than what we are presently witnessing in most places. At the risk of offending somebody, I'm going to tell you about it. I think it's not an accident that God allowed me to see that as a child. Amen. I can never be satisfied with the smoke. Amen. I've been in a fire. I know what real revival's like. I know what real holiness is like. Hello? I know what a real manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit are like. These so-called prophets running around. Amen. They're so hokey. I can't believe anybody would believe it, but they do. Amen. I never heard so many generalities in all my life. In a meeting close to where I live just a few weeks ago, the Lord spoke and said, you have said in your heart, I wish that so-and-so was here. Now, isn't that specific? I mean, that is nailing it down. You wished that so-and-so was here. And he went on. From there, it went downhill. Started out pretty good, but it went downhill from there. And this is called prophecy. Now, I believe in prophecy. Don't anybody misunderstand what I'm saying. I believe in prophecy. Amen. But the prophecy I've heard, you don't yawn and go to sleep while it's going on. Prophecy I heard will raise the hair on the back of your neck. Prophecy I've heard gets right down to the nitty-gritty. It'll put you on your face seeking God. Hello? Amen. What I'm trying to tell you is if we're not careful, we're going to buy into a work of the flesh. I'm going to tell you that's where a lot of that comes from. What's called a move of God nowadays, a lot of it's a work of the flesh. I even know a men that practice their gifts. Go to the mall and sit there and and. and, and confront people, talk to them, and try to give them a reading. And if they miss, well, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm perfecting my gift. Well, I'm a little afraid of that gift. You may be perfecting it, but I don't need it practiced on me or my church. Now, there's a real gift to the Spirit. Amen. I believe in discerning of spirits. I believe in word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Amen. I believe in prophecy, tongues and interpretation, gifts of healing, miracles. You go on and on and on. I believe in all of it. I am contending for it. But I'm telling you, I am against Ishmael gifts. I am against gifts that you go somewhere to seminar and learn how to use and go there to get them. I'm not afraid of those gifts that come out of consecration. I'm not afraid of gifts that come out of prayer meetings. I'm talking about real prayer. Amen. I'm not afraid of that. I want it. I need it. We got to have it. It's for the perfecting and the edifying of the church. We cannot get this church ready without it. But let's not settle for a work of the flesh. Amen. Let us earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. I'm afraid of gifts that you can drag somebody out from in front of a TV and half hour later they're operating the gifts. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Drag them off the beach and an hour later they're operating the gifts. Well, I don't want those kind of gifts. They're tainted. They smell like the flesh. I'm afraid we're going to produce Ishmael's. Flesh produces flesh. 
Amen. Another example I would bring for your consideration. Esau was the firstborn son of Isaac. Amen. But he was profane and rejected of God. And God spoke to Malachi chapter 1, the first three verses. And to paraphrase, he said, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Amen. Now, there's a lot of things that can be said about this. This was written several hundred years after the boys were dead and gone. This was not a predestination statement. This is a statement based upon their record in history. And God was not only speaking of them as individuals, but the nation that proceeded forth from each one of them. God hated Esau and his offspring. Amen. The, uh, the nation that sprung forth from him, God hated it. Amen. They continued in the same vein that their father did. Amen. From generation to generation, that spirit and that attitude just became more entrenched. And God said, I hate Esau. I hate everything it stands for. But he went on to say, yet Jacob have I loved. There's some things about Jacob that God loved. In other words, God rejected the firstborn, but again he, he accepts the secondborn. That tells us that God hates our first man, flesh, but he loves our new man, which represents the second birth. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Jacob married Leah to fulfill a fleshly natural custom, but his heart yearned for the object of his love and desire, which was Rachel. Praise God. God was married to Israel in the Old Testament. Amen. Israel never did meet up to God's expectations. Amen. She never was beautiful. She never did, amen, become a praise and a glory unto him. And he yearned for the object of his love. That is the church, you and I. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. You see, Jacob's hard labor for 14 years seemed to him as nothing. Divine pattern that the firstborn which is flesh is rejected, but it's through the secondborn that the story of redemption unfolds. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's love the Lord together right now. Amen. 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 The first generation Israel left Egypt. But they never were able to enter in because of unbelief. They failed to inherit the promises, and they were rejected of God, and it took the second generation, amen, that would believe God to cross the Jordan River and go in and inherit the promises. The first generation enjoyed the miracles and the blessings, and I'm telling you, in our flesh, we can enjoy the blessings and the miracles that goes with serving God. Amen. But to produce the work that God wants produced, we got to go beyond the flesh. We got to go, amen, to that second man, that second birth. Amen. That man that's been born again of the water and of the spirit. You see what they failed in. They enjoyed the miracles, but they failed in the test of submission and obedience and so forth. Amen. But the second generation believed and possessed the promise. Praise God. Now we understand that the seed of Abraham was God's chosen people. God was bound to Israel by a covenant relationship. But Israel never fulfilled the righteous demands of the law. Romans 8 and 3 sums it up and says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law, amen, might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, 
but after the Spirit. In your flesh, you can never please God. Amen. The Old Testament proves that. Amen. It proves that in the flesh, we cannot, the first man cannot produce the righteous demands of God. You must be born again. And I bring you back to our scripture text this morning. And we are introduced with this thought that there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. There is such a clear distinction made throughout scripture between that which is flesh and natural and carnal and that which is of the spirit. There's the natural man, there's the spirit man. And our problem is this, so much of the time we fall back on the flesh instead of developing a dependence on the spirit. You see, the first Adam, amen, he failed to obey. Amen, he was rejected of God. Now, please understand this. I know I'm throwing a lot of things out here. I hope I'm not boring you with this. But... Uh, you see, God planned the plan of salvation before the foundation of the world. When he created mankind, he knew that they were going to fail. That's why the Lamb of God was slain from the foundation of the world. Somebody said, well, first Adam could have and should have. God knew that the fleshly man that he created would never be able to live up to his righteous demands. Flesh is flesh. He was after more than just the offspring of the flesh. He put into man his spirit. And it was his intent, amen, to pull out of man, to produce from man a work of the spirit. Are you with me? Amen. And so God had a plan from the beginning. Amen. The first Adam failed. I think he made a choice and all that. I don't want to get into all that. I don't believe in predestination. But I just don't have time to qualify everything I'm saying this morning. Amen. I believe what you believe along those lines. So just put it in that context. Frame it in that if you would please. Amen. But the first Adam failed because he was of the earth fleshly. Consider with me just for a moment if you would. God created Adam from what? The dust of the earth. The earth. Everything that sustains our life comes from where? The earth. It takes the earth to sustain our life. Amen. Everything that has to do with the natural man comes from the earth. Dust thou art and dust thou shalt return. Amen. But God breathed into that dust the breath of life and man became a living soul. Everything that's spiritual comes from the spirit of God. It takes the spirit of God to sustain spiritual life. Okay? Amen. And so uh, when Adam failed, it was according to the flesh. And then God began to work on a plan of redemption whereby the flesh could be defeated. Amen. And the spirit man could be born. Amen. And would do the will of God. And so it's been that way from the beginning. The flesh always follows the earthly course, the natural carnal course. It can do nothing else. But that spirit man, amen, longs to follow the ways of the spirit. We see in Romans 5 verses 12 through 14 that by one man sin, that is Adam, sin entered and death entered upon the whole earth. But in verse 15 it tells us through the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ, the gift of grace abounded unto all. Amen. So that brings us on down here into 
verse number four, uh, 44, we understand then that there is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. And the first Adam was made a living soul, connected to the earth, amen, connected to sight and sound and feel and taste and so forth. Everything he received came through the five senses. Now, here's a very important point, and I have a place I'm going with this, and I'm going to wrap it up in just a few minutes. But when we begin to try to do the work of God by what we see, what we feel, what we hear, what we know, amen, it's going to produce nothing but a work of the flesh. Amen. Does not the Bible teach us concerning the wisdom of God that eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered the hearts of men the things that God has prepared for them that love him? Now, what's he saying there? He's not saying that you can't imagine, you can't do this. The next verse says, but he hath revealed these things to us by his spirit. You don't understand the things of God by hearing and sight and knowledge. Earthly wisdom will not produce revelation. Divine revelation comes from the Spirit of God. Amen. That's why people that are not smart in earthly knowledge can be very wise in the things of the Spirit. You don't get this by secular education. Amen. You must be schooled in God's school. Amen. You get these things in prayer. You get these things in earnestly searching and seeking out the things of God. If you want to know and understand the ways of God, if you want to operate in the spirit of God, amen, you've got to be educated in God's spiritual school. That's where a lot of these wise guys are missing it. Amen. They've studied. They've got a degree. I'm not against going to school. I'm not against studying. I, in fact, I'm a radical on that. I think anybody that won't study is lazy. Amen. Amen. But we've got to be careful what we're studying, and we've got to be careful what we're depending on. Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But some guys are so smart, they don't need to pray. Some guys are so smart, they don't need a move of the Spirit. Some guys are so good at what they do, they can do it on their own. That's what I'm preaching against. Amen. Some of the greatest men of God I've ever known were uneducated. Some of the greatest men of the Spirit that I personally have ever been privileged to sit under their ministry or to hear them preach, amen, were men that couldn't even begin to dig out all this stuff that I've dug out today. But they didn't know all that. They didn't have to, but they understood the principle of it, and they had it in their heart and their spirit. And by nature, they did these things, whether they could articulate it or not. Amen. There's some things that your Holy Ghost nature ought to produce. I believe when you get the spirit of holiness, you will by nature begin to do some things that it may be years later before you know the scriptures and the principles for it. And that's no excuse for not teaching them. Amen. I believe in teaching people. Amen. But you know, when people come into church and they're born again, the water and the spirit, they don't understand hardly anything. But the first thing you know, they say, Ooh, hair all over my face don't feel right. I got to get rid of it. They raise their hands and worship and praise and God all of a sudden they say, I've seen them sit right there and throw it off and put it in a purse. You never sit again. Hello? I've seen them weeping and crying and praising God and getting a blessing and get up and leave and come back in and they've got all the makeup wiped off. Who told them to do that? Nobody did. That Holy Ghost nature told them that. It may be months later before the pastor teaches a Bible study on these things, and they say, oh, yeah, 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 now I understand. 
What was it that caused a hippie last year in my church when he come in, he had hair down his waist? Had three children. The woman he was living with, he'd been with her 13 years, but they'd never been married. What was it that caused him as soon as he got the Holy Ghost? Within just a few days to go home and say, I can't stand to look at that TV and turn it around, unplug it and push it against the wall. Amen. And then he began to, he said, he said now, now, now listen to this. This is an uneducated man, but you talk about Holy Ghost wisdom. He said, I started to take it out and throw it away, but my wife and kids didn't understand. So he said, I told him, let's just leave it unplugged, turned around, and we're going to pray about this a few days. And so they prayed about it, and then without TV, and his wife and kids agreed to him, we don't need that. So they loaded up in the back of the truck and took it to the dump and made a family outing out of throwing that one-eyed devil out. So that's what the Holy Ghost told them to do. They did not even know that I took a stand against TV and VCR. But we got these smart guys in our ranks that are justifying all of this. They, they're so smart, they can figure out how that you can indulge in all of these things and still please God. I say something, amen, it's crazy. Amen. Something doesn't add up to me. Why is it that the Holy Ghost can take a hippie and teach him things that people that's had it for years can't understand? Amen. Somebody's getting a real Holy Ghost and somebody else is being sold a bill of goods. Or if they had it in the beginning, they have gone back to the flesh and are trying to perfect that in the flesh that was begun in the spirit. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. When you're not preaching and teaching people separation and nothing's changing in their life and all you've got is enthusiasm and a, and a crowd, that's not what I call revival. That doesn't impress me. And I said, that doesn't impress me. Well, uh, denominational churches have been putting crowds together for years and they don't hardly preach or teach anything. We're falling into that same old mistake and error that they fell into. I'm telling you, a real revival still produces a change in people's hearts and lives. Every move of God in Old and New Testament and in church history, amen, was accompanied by holiness and a return to personal sanctification. Amen. I said every single one of them, amen, was marked by holiness and personal sanctification. Amen. But in the modern day and hour that we're living in, we can have the greatest revival the world's ever seen with no sanctification and no holiness. I'm going to tell you what we're buying into. We're buying into an Ishmael revival. Ishmael always comes first. Amen. The flesh always comes first. The flesh is always number one. Amen. Before the real comes, there's always the false. But let me tell you something today. Amen. Ishmael has had his turn. Amen. He's paraded around and he strutted his stuff and he's made his brags and his boasts. Amen. But you mark down what this preacher is preaching this morning. Amen. It's our hour. It's our time. It's our revival. It's our turn on center stage. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And there came an hour and there came a day when Abraham had to make up his mind. Is it going to be Ishmael or Isaac? Is it going to be Hagar or Sarah? I don't know about you, but I've already decided. Amen. I'm not going to turn back. Amen. From the old apostolic paths of righteousness and godliness and holiness. Hallelujah. 
the things of the Spirit always take a little bit longer. But honey, it's worth the wait. What you produce by the flesh is going to come down. Amen. Wasn't it Brother Holmes preaching to us yesterday about building on the foundation and the various types of building materials? Amen. You can throw something up in a hurry if you're just going to use uh, sticks and, and hay and, and stubble and things like that. But if you're going to have something of lasting, enduring quality and value, amen, you're going to have to put some work into the foundation. You're going to have to build carefully. You're going to have to spend a little bit more money. You're going to have to go a little bit further. But what you've got, amen, is going to stand. All right. All right. It takes a long time to destroy a church that's built on the right foundation. I'm digressing from what I'm preaching. Amen. But God showed me something a while back about foundation. Some of these churches have never had a foundation under them. You ought not. Well. It came about as a result of something the Lord showed me in a church. And I'm not trying to sound super spiritual, but I can't tell you about this without telling you what happened. First time I was ever in this particular church. It's an old church. It's a well-known church in our movement. Been there for many, 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 many years. And I was asked to preach. It was a strange set of circumstances that brought this about. And I was standing there that night, and just before they turned the service to me, I saw a vision of an old southern plantation-type mansion. Huge, ornate, beautiful. As we got closer to it, I saw it was in a state of disrepair. It had been abandoned and sat in there for many, many years. Shutters had fallen off. Some of the windows were broken out. A few boards was hanging down. It was dirty. And the paint was peeling. And it was bad shape. And I was with this man that seemed to be the owner of this house. And he had asked me to come and look at it and see if it could be remodeled or not. If it was worth putting the money and effort into it to restore it. So I stood there looking at it. And we walked around the outside. And, and I was taking notes like on a, you know, I had a pad of paper there and I was taking notes and, and I was noting what all needed to be done. We went on into the house and he took me from room to room. I noticed the big wide moldings, uh, the marble, the fireplaces, the big ornate carved doors and uh, just like an old Victorian mansion. And as we went through there, I just marveled. I said, boy, you know, somebody built this house right. It was really, it was really built right. And as I continued on through the house and my list grew and grew and grew and grew. And I was thinking as we toured through this house, you know, time we uh, factor all this out and add it up, it's, it, it, it's just going to cost too much. It'd be better to tear this thing down and build from new than try to restore it. It's just too far gone. And then finally, I was taken into a room. And I was led to the edge of the room. And this man that was with me pointed, at the fountain, pointed down to the corner like this. And I looked down there. And when I did, it was as though the floor became invisible. And I looked down into the foundation of this building. And it was made, now I know this, this didn't exist. This is not the way they did it when they built those Victorian mansions a hundred years ago or so. But this is what I saw in this vision. And it was like a foundation that was about eight or ten foot deep and about six foot wide. I saw right into the concrete. It had rebar, big rebar running back and forth and cross-wired and, and all through it. And I stood there in amazement. And I said, I have never seen such a foundation. And I turned to the man and I said, it would be worth putting your money in it. This building's got a good foundation under it. And then God had me to understand that the church where I was standing and preaching, amen, is in a 
sad state of disrepair. There's all kinds of problems, all kinds of things. But God said, hey, I can do a work here. I can do a work of restoration because a good foundation was put under this building. And when I inquired, that's exactly the history of that church. But we got a lot of things that's never had a foundation put under it. Now, for me personally, I have come to the conclusion, amen, that in some situations it'd be better, amen, to take a bulldozer and bulldoze it all and start all over. But there are situations scattered across the North American continent, amen, where years ago somebody went in and in the spirit, amen, dug out a, a, a foothold and dug out a foundation and established something there for God. And it may be a long ways today from where it was, amen, but I believe God's going to send men into these areas in the end time and he's going to do a work of restoration. He's going to bring these works back to life, amen, because God specializes in doing the impossible and once he's invested something in something, he doesn't give up easy. His greatest work is done as a work of restoration. The city that I pastor in and the church that God has blessed us with, amen, is an example of what I'm preaching about today. Amen. There was a, a foundation laid years ago. Truth was laid and it was dug down deep. Amen. And God is bringing a work back in that city based upon the labors and the love of men and women that are long gone on to their reward today. I believe a lot of the revival we're going to enjoy in the end time, amen, is going to be because of that work that somebody did years ago. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Don't look at, uh, at the visible externals, amen. Look at the foundation that was laid. Don't be intimidated by the past. Don't be intimidated by the history of the city that you're working in. God is able to raise up a mighty work right there in the ruins. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The Old Testament is full of restoration. Amen. People's restored back to their land. The walls are restored. The temple's restored. And on and on and on. And it happens again and again and again and again. Several references have been made to the Valley of the Dry Bones. That was restoration. Restoration. Let's take our limitations off of God. Amen. I believe God is able to raise up a work wherever. Amen. His name has been preached and the devil has brought it down. Amen. And drug it through the mud and the muck and the mire. All right. I'm completely off of what I was going to preach. I'm probably not going to finish this. I got to get through. Time is wasting. Amen. But I feel so strong in the Holy Ghost that I am talking to somebody right now. Amen. I'm talking to somebody right now. Amen. You can raise up a work right there where you are. I don't know of a city anywhere where the name of the Lord has been any more debased. Any greater embarrassment has been brought upon the truth than where I'm at. I don't think anybody could follow up a situation any worse than what I followed up. I didn't want to go there. God made me go there. And I don't want to sound like I'm boasting or anything like that. Brother Bass has been with me. He knows what God is doing there. We just knocked out a wall last weekend partly to help have overflow and accommodate this meeting that we have every year. But even beyond that, on the weekends and, and even on revival services, Brother Bass, we're filling the building up. I believe if things continue this year as they've been going, we're going to have to be using that overflow for regular service. And that come out of one of the worst situations you could ever think of. But there was a foundation laid in that city. Oh, hallelujah. If God will do it in Tulsa, he'll do it in your city. Mm. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I'm not going to finish this message. 
I feel like God's trying to talk to somebody right now. Oh, God. The only thing I'm going to say to conclude this message is what I've been trying to get across to you is that God hates our flesh and our dependence on the flesh and he wants us to get back to a dependence on the spirit. And what we can't accomplish, God can do it in a short while if we'll learn how to allow the spirit, amen, to have its free course and free will in our hearts and lives. Would you stand with me right now? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's love the Lord together. Let's go just a, a little bit further because God's wanting to encourage and strengthen somebody right now. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. In Jesus' name. I realize this is a morning service and I must hasten and get out of the way. Let me tell you what I just felt so strong in the last few moments I was preaching. And that is that it's not a coincidence that many of you are here today and hearing what I'm fixing to say right now. It's by divine appointment that you're here to hear what I'm fixing to tell you right now. Not because I'm saying it, but I feel like I'm speaking to you in the Holy Ghost. There's many preachers that are frustrated right now. You've just about wrung your hands. You've wished in your own heart and mind if I could have just gone somewhere where there was no reproach and just started with scratch, I'd be better off than I am right now. I just put up with stuff all the time. My family suffers. I've suffered. It just seems like an impossible situation. But I want to tell you something. God's got you there for a reason. Amen. And it's not going to be very long if you'll hold true to the course the route that you have plotted up to now. Don't back off now. Don't change course. Don't start doubting the direction you've been going. Amen. Just keep moving ahead. God's going to give you a breakthrough in your city and in your area. Yes, he is. I feel that in the Holy Ghost. Not only that, I feel something for this whole state and area, Brother Bass. I feel something for this all up and down through this area here. Amen. Where there's churches at one time stood for holiness and stood for this apostolic doctrine and they've fallen away and they've drifted away. Amen. I believe God wants to raise up strong churches. It's his will. It's his desire that there be great apostolic revival and great apostolic churches down through Florida and in some of these southeastern states down through here. You hear what I'm saying today? God wants to bring this thing back. Ishmael's had his day. But it's time. I said it's time for Isaac to step forward. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Can you believe that today? Can you get a hold of it? Can you act on it? Can you allow God to do a work in your heart and life today to prepare you for the work that he's doing? My God, my God, my God, my God. Amen. This good brother that's fixing to preach behind me in the Chicago area. He was explaining to his visiting last night. He's explaining to me that the, that the train line ends where they're at in the city of Chicago to try to rid itself of problems. Puts undesirables on the train. Sends them in the line and unloads them where he pastors. Somebody said that's impossible. Well, it's not impossible. God's raising up a work there. Amen. These places where we never thought it could happen, it's happening. It's going to happen. It'll continue to happen. In these places we call burnover fields, you're going to see God do a great work in the end time. Get rid of the intimidation. I know 
I need to get out of the way. But I got to get through to somebody. Your biggest problem is your own imagination. Your biggest problem is you have listened to the lie of the devil. You don't think that it's ever going to happen where you are. When you get your mind straightened out, when you fill your mind with the thoughts of God, amen, that's when the situation's going to turn for you. As long as the devil can keep you intimidated, as long as he can keep you frustrated, as long as he can keep you saying, what if this or if that hadn't happened, if I could do this, you're not going to do anything. Get that out of your mind. Amen. You're God's man. You're in God's place. You're in God's time. If God be for you, who can be against you? Forget about the past. Amen. Quit trying to always relive the past. Quit talking about it. Quit praying about it. I said quit praying about the past. Start praying about the now. Start praying about the revival God's going to send you. Start preaching about what God's doing now. What God's fixing to do. Quit preaching. Just hang on. Start preaching revival. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Pump your people full of faith. Keep yourself full of faith. Keep your family full of faith. Quit talking that discouragement around your wife and kids. Amen, amen. Start talking about we're fixing to have a change around here. Amen. Things are fixing to start happening. We're going to have a move of God. We're going to have revival. I can't help what's happened in the past. I can't go back and undo it in the past. But bless your heart, I can do something about right now. Amen. I'm going to preach that God's still on the throne and prayer changes things. I'm going to preach the same apostolic message that brought revival in yesteryear. And we're going to have revival. There's going to be a revival in the land. You produce faith, you're going to get faith. You preach faith, amen, it produces faith. You preach revival, it produces revival. You preach discouragement, it produces discouragement. You preach defeat, it produces defeat. You talk about mistakes, and it produces more mistakes. Talk about victory, talk about life, talk about things that are, are progressive. I'm talking about spiritually progressive. Hallelujah. God's going to do it. I said God's going to do it. God's going to do it. There's going to be a revival in the land. There's going to be a work of restoration. Amen. God's going to do great and mighty things. Forget about those that have turned away from the truth. Forget about the backsliders. Amen. And the reprobates and apostate. I don't mean quit trying to get a backslider saved. But some people sit around and all they ever work on is backsliders. They know where the church is. Hallelujah. Go fishing. Amen. As the brother preached last night, go fishing. Amen. Where the fish are biting. Go where people are hungry. Hallelujah. 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 Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise right now. Oh, God.